as we come to the Word of God, to be attentive and, uh, and to hear these words as they're read, to reflect upon them, uh, and to be asking yourselves, uh, are these things true of me? Do I know something of what is being described here? Uh, hear the Word of God. Psalm 131, a song of David. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. This is the Word of God. He gives it to His people for their good. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank You for Your Word. Uh, We thank You that You've not left us uh, in darkness, but You have spoken and You have preserved what You have spoken because You never lie. We may trust what You have said. We ask you now for your spirit, that by your spirit, your word would live for us, and that you, by your spirit, would take the truth of your word and seal it to our hearts and bear fruit through your word in our souls, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I may... Uh, a great uh, fan of bumper sticker theology. Um, I don't know if you think about bumper stickers in quite that way, but there really is, uh, there's a theology behind everything that people uh, believe or, or say or understand about the world in which they live. And you can, you can learn a lot by, about people by, by paying attention to their bumper stickers. Now, some of it, I think, ought to be outlawed. Um, we, that, that's a category of stuff we won't, uh, we won't even talk about this morning. Uh, some of it should just, be, should just be banned. But, you know, I'd encourage you to, just to, to realize, as you see some of that offensive stuff on people's bumpers, that it does reflect something. I mean, there people make choices, and there's stuff that's going on in their heads and in their hearts, and that's why that stuff ends up on, on their bumpers. Um, but there's a lot of uh, pretty comedic stuff out there, people taking jabs at, at, at other sort of world views. I, I love the bumper sticker that says, visualize world peas. You know, you, you, all that New Age stuff where you were encouraged to, to visualize world peace. If you could only visualize it, then, then somehow there would be some energy that would be communicated through you and disseminated out into the world. It would be sort of channeled through you. And if you could visualize this thing, then it would really happen. And I thought that was a fairly um, striking um, assault on that worldview, if you will. Visualize world peace. That's really kind of frightening to try to visualize. Um, I have a friend who made a bumper sticker. I love this one. Um, I haven't put it on my car yet, but um, but it says, I strangled Shirley MacLaine in a previous, previous life. 
That's, you know, there's fun stuff out there. But there's other stuff that's out there, too, uh, stuff that um, is uh, probably reflective of some of the, the cynicism, some of the, uh, even the unhappiness, some of the fears, some of the uncertainties that people live with every day. There's, there's one bumper sticker that I've seen a number of times, um, and it's, it's, it's really rather chilling if you think about it. It says simply, life is hard and then you die. And then there's another one that says, he who dies with the most toys still dies. And those are, you know, again, when you stop and you think about those bumper stickers, people put those things on their cars for some reason. Uh, and they're really rather chilling. It's, it's really rather frightening to think that folks view life in that way. Life is hard, which it certainly is. Nobody's denying that part of it. Uh, life is hard, and then you die, as though that were the end, as though that uh, were all that there could be. You get a very different picture of life, if you will, from Psalm 131, Um, particularly this second verse in which David describes himself uh, as being as contented, uh, as peaceful, as at rest as a weaned child, a child at rest on a mother's lap. Uh, Or literally, uh, the way the last part of that verse reads, like a weaned child is my soul upon me. Uh, David uh, sort of separates himself from himself and considers himself and, and finds this deep, sense of peacefulness and rest like a child upon the lap of his or her mother so is David's soul at rest at peace upon him within him a very different kind of a picture um, that you see there and and you ask yourself the question how, in the in the midst of Uh, this life which can be hard, how do you get to that place? Is it a place you can get to? Um, And if it is a place that you can get to where there is this sense of abiding rest and peace, how how do you get there? How do you get to that place? So I think think the psalm, in addition to describing uh, what David was experiencing, also suggests how we get there. Um, The first part of how we get there is not easy. Uh, It's, in fact, none of it's easy, easy, but the first part of it is the more difficult part of the getting there. And it's reflected in the first verse. Uh, David says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Let me suggest to you that that the way you get to that place of peace and rest 
in the first place is by acknowledging some things about yourself, acknowledging the fact that we do tend to have a problem that keeps us from getting to that place of peace and rest. Uh, David uh, says that his heart is not lifted up. But our problem does tend to be uh, these hearts of ours that can be lifted up, that can be raised too high. Uh, We do tend to have proud hearts, don't we? Um, Hearts uh, that seek to exalt themselves, that seek to elevate themselves. Uh, Hearts that have this tendency to be preoccupied with themselves. Uh, That gets in the way of getting to this place of peace and of rest. Uh, There's an interesting progression in the psalm. Uh, David begins with talking about the heart, the fact that we have these hearts uh, within us. His is not lifted too high, but we have hearts that tend to be lifted up. Um, My oldest daughter, Katie, whom you've not met uh, yet, but whom you will meet, I hope, at some point, uh, gave us a wonderful illustration of this when she was about four years old. Uh, She was in the nursery at our church over in Brandon, Florida, and she was in the nursery with a a little three-year-old boy. And the nursery worker suddenly heard this, this scream from off in the corner of the nursery and looked over to see what had happened. And this little boy was just, with his hands, was just clutching and grasping after something. And as it turns out, my oldest daughter had taken a toy away from this little three-year-old boy. And when the nursery worker asked my daughter about this and what was wrong, my daughter responded by saying, little four-year-old kid responded by saying, I don't know why he's crying. I have what I want. And there, you know, in in a little four-year-old's experience is an indication of what tends to go on in our hearts. We have these hearts that are self-exalting, self-gratifying. That, that tend to lift themselves up. And, and it progresses then, doesn't it, from the hearts to the eyes. Here's the sort of the second aspect of this problem that we have. We have eyes that are raised too high. They're, they're haughty eyes. That's what's suggested in the text. They're condescending eyes. They're eyes that are sort of looking around for contrasts and for comparisons Uh, Eyes that are self-absorbed and that because of these crazy hearts of ours uh, want to see others as beneath them. Now, let me tell you that this isn't something that that ministers uh, escape from or are immune to. Um, One of the most dangerous places on the planet for a minister to go to is another meeting of ministers. Because what tends to happen when you go to meetings of ministers, whether the Presbytery or the General Assembly, you tend to make comparisons. You you tend to establish your own place in the pecking order, not by looking above, but by looking beneath you. 
I, I hate to acknowledge this about myself, but it's true. You know, I go to a meeting of Presbytery. I say, hey, Pete, how are you? Not too well, I hope. How's your church? Not too big, I hope. How are things going? I hope not better than things are going in my church. It happens. Because of these hearts of ours, we tend then to look around for these contrasts and position ourselves not with respect to people above us. We dismiss those people. But with respect to people beneath us. That's what my little daughter did. A four-year-old and a three-year-old. But it doesn't stop with the eyes. The heart's cause the eyes to make these comparisons, these contrasts. But then in our actions, in our activities, we start walking around. That's the, the sense of the word. We, we, we start walking around or moving around in things that are, that are too great for me, things that are too exalted for me. We strive after them. We clutch after them. We attempt to control. We attempt to manipulate. We, we attempt uh, to keep things uh, well within our grasp, striving and controlling and manipulating. Uh, the great picture of this for me, for those of you who have seen or who have read uh, Tolkien's uh, Lord of the Rings trilogy, the great picture of this is the creature Gollum whose heart was so preoccupied with himself, whose eyes could only see this one thing that he had to have, and then having this one thing, who then sought to control everything around him, manipulate everything around him, deceive himself, deceive those around him, so that he could maintain the one little precious that he had. And what was the outcome of it? Did his precious give him what he longed for, what he wanted? Did his precious give him life? Did his precious deliver? His precious, at the end of the day, destroyed him, killed him. His heart had become haughty. His eyes were lifted up. He walked around in things, clutched after things, grasped after things, and then manipulated and controlled things in such a way that he was finally, at the end, not quiet, not at peace, not at rest, but destroyed. But destroyed. How do you get to this place of rest, this place of peace? I really think we have to we have to do this very hard thing of self-examination. We've got to look in. We've got to deal with our hearts. We've got to examine our hearts. We can't get to that place that David describes here without doing that hard work of self-examination. Our hearts, our eyes, our actions. And then... You know, what comes out of that, frankly, for us as we live on this side of the cross, we look at our hearts, we look at our eyes, we we look at our actions, we acknowledge these things, then this great gospel word repentance enters into the equation. We repent, we we say, no, this isn't good, this isn't right. We agree with God. We say, no, this is heinous, this is ugly, this is not life-giving, but it's death-inducing. This is not wise, this is foolish. 
and we turn away from these things and we turn to the cross. And in turning to the cross, we find one who is sufficient to cleanse us, to relieve us, to restore us, the one who possesses the life that we want. When we do this hard word of hard work of acknowledging what's really going on in our souls, by God's grace, it leads us then to turn away from these things and to turn to the cross and to plead with Christ for the forgiveness, for the help that we need. And then we begin to get to this place, this place of quiet and rest. And this picture that's in verse 2 is, is one picture, but I tell you there are so many pictures like this, if you will, in the Scriptures. This particular picture David describes or paints for us is, again, a picture of a weaned child with its mother. There's a difference between the non-weaned child and the weaned child. The the non-weaned child, the nursing child, is the one who still frets and and fusses and and roots and digs around and is not happy unless unless full, right? But the weaned child has gotten to a place in in his or her life, the, the child no longer nursing, has gotten to a place in his or her life where he's made this this distinction, is able to make this separation between himself and the mother. Oh yeah, mom is still a place of security and still a place of safety. But the child now is able to think about that and reflect upon that and know that. And as long as the child is in the embrace of the mother, the weaned child, even if hungry, even if stuff out there isn't entirely at rest, the child is safe and secure because the child has a history of being cared for by this mother. This mother has loved this child and the child has begun to understand it and know it. And so even if hungry, or even if there is danger around, the child doesn't fret and fuss and isn't distracted anymore, but now is at rest. That's, that's the picture that David is describing. But again, it's, it's one of any number of pictures in the, in the, in the scriptures like this. I, I did a wedding yesterday um, up in Orlando. Two... 21-year-old kids. Can you believe that? I mean, that seems obscenely young to me, particularly when my daughter was the maid of honor. And she's not old enough to be married. How could her best friend possibly be old enough to be married? But these two 21-year-olds were wise enough, sharp enough to have, as the scripture reading in their wedding ceremony, Romans 8, 31 to 39, this incredible passage that repeatedly uses the language, the love of Christ, the love of God. Can anything in all of the creation ever separate us from the love of God, from the love of Christ ever again? And in the sermon to these two, and and I I tell you, I love weddings. 
I love being able to stare at these two people squarely in the eyes and tell them the truth of the gospel and say, I know you're not going to remember any of this, but try. And to be able to say to them, be able to ask them this question, do you, do you know what Paul's talking about here when he talks about the love of Christ, the love of God? We tend to think that God, through the Apostle Paul, is talking first about that love which God expresses in the direction of sinners. But that's not where the love of God originates. The love of God does not originate as something that didn't exist before, but that is now needed because there are sinners who are in need of love. The love of God exists. The love of Christ exists within the Godhead. The Father loving the Son. The Son loving the Father. The Father and the Son loving the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit loving the Father and the Son before anything is created, before anybody needs this love, which the three persons of the one true Godhead know and enjoy and delight in from all eternity. A love, Paul says in Ephesians 3, is high and wide and deep and long. It is as unfathomable as God is Himself. You can't circumscribe it. It is the pure, perfect, unmitigated delight and joy that the Father knows for the Son. Because the Son is supremely beautiful in the eyes of the Father. It is the pure, perfect, unmitigated, unmeasurable joy and delight that the Son knows for the Father. Because the Father is the joy of the Son's heart. That love that is vast, unmeasured, boundless, and free existed among the persons of the Godhead before anything was created. And the wonder of creation and redemption is that that God who knew perfect love and joy and delight in Himself should be pleased to create and then redeem so that we might be gathered up into that love and joy. That's the only reason He created. Argue with me about it if you want to. But I've got Jonathan Edwards in my corner. Who in his essay, The End for Which God Created the World, argues that God's sole reason, highest reason for creating was that he might distribute his own joy upon his creatures so that they might be gathered up into the joy that he knows within himself. That's the love of Christ. That's the love of God. I wish there were words adequate to describe it. That is a picture of what David is seeking to describe here. This love that is vast, unmeasured, boundless, free. A love that gives to the objects of that love a safety, a security, a sense of well-being that nothing inside and nothing outside can take away. I hope you'll pray this week that Anne will know that joy, that love, that peace, that comfort, that rest, even, even in the midst of losing her beloved husband, Bill. Now again, how do you get there? Well, we said that you get there first by acknowledging the truth about yourself. 
That's in verse 1. But then in verse 3, David says this, O Israel, hope in the Lord. There are two names there. And with these two names, David is encouraging those to whom he is writing, to those whom he is speaking. With those two names, he's encouraging them to remember. And basically, he's encouraging them to remember first who they are. They are Israel. You remember that Israel is the name that God gave to Jacob. Jacob, the usurper. Jacob, the troubler. Jacob, the deceiver. Jacob, the liar. That, that's the name that is associated with Jacob, the old man. Jacob was given a new name. The new name is the name Israel. It's the name that Jacob was given so as to reestablish his identity, so as to give him a new name, a new identity, contrasting that identity with the old identity. What is David doing as he turns from a reflection upon himself in verse 3, in effect, to become a preacher, to become one who admonishes, one who encourages. He's saying now to the nation, he's no longer writing in his spiritual diary, he's now preaching to the congregation. Oh, Israel, remember who you are. Remember that you are the objects of the favor of this God, just like Jacob was. You were usurpers, you were liars, you were deceivers, but you, because of God's kindness, have been given a new identity and a new name. Don't forget who you are. Let me just hit the pause button here and do with you what Martin Luther used to do with his congregations. Martin Luther would say, When the devil whispers in your ear and reminds you of the catalog of sins that you've committed in the last week, when your conscience rises up to accuse you of all of the wrong that you've done, of how unworthy you are to name the name of Christ, say to the devil and say to the conscience, you are absolutely right. But with your own words, I will slay you. With your accusations, I will slay you because I will take those accusations, devil, and I will take those accusations, guilty conscience, and I will take them to the cross where my Redeemer and my Savior has suffered and died for every one of those accusations. Every bit of usurpation, every bit of deceit, every lie, every deception, it has all been impaled upon the cross. And so... Devil, with your own words, I will slay you by taking your words to the cross of Christ where I find my forgiveness and my freedom. That's what David is saying to Israel. Remember who you are. You are a Christian. That's the name that has been given you. Remember who you are. Talk to yourself. Preach to yourself. Admonish yourself. Remind yourself of the cross of Christ, the work of Christ, the love of God which secured the cross of Christ for you. O Israel, 
And then he uses this other name. O Israel, hope in Yahweh. Hope in Yahweh. That's what's in the text. What is that name? Well, you know what that name is. That is the personal name of God. That is the name which God uses of himself in connection with his covenant promises. He is Elohim. He is Adonai. He is El Shaddai. He is countless names in the scriptures. The mighty one, the creator, the Lord of glory. But in connection with his covenant promises, when he speaks to his people and says to them, I am your God. I will be your shield. I will be your very great reward. He uses this name, Yahweh. He's the God of covenant faithfulness to his people. So how do you get to this place that's described in verse 2? You've got to do what's in verse 1. You've got to ask some questions about your heart. Is it haughty? You've got to ask some questions about your eyes. Are they raised up? You've got to ask some questions about your actions. Are you running around trying to manipulate and control and manage? Are you clutching to things that don't bring life but bring death? You have to do that. And having done that, you then turn to the cross. And then you remember who you are, Israel, Israel of God, beloved people of God. Speak to yourselves about these things. And then remember who your God is, Yahweh, the God of heaven and earth, who in covenant faithfulness has drawn you to himself and has made you his own. I told you I love to do weddings. You'll hear me say this a zillion times, I hope, in the next however many years we have together. One of the things I love most about weddings is what I get to see that nobody else gets to see. I get to look at the groom. I get to watch the face of the groom as he tries to peer around the corner to see his bride, to catch a glimpse of his bride. As she comes to him, to be betrothed to him, to enjoy his embrace forever. That's who you are as the Israel of God. Your lover, the God of heaven and earth, has made you his own. And you're being encouraged to hope in him, to trust in him, to rest in him. The one true God who really does exist, who waits properly understood, who waits to embrace his children as they come to him. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that, uh, that we get pictures like this in the Scriptures. We get a picture of peace and rest. We get a picture of quiet. We get a picture of assurance. We get a picture of acceptance. Uh, Lord, you know the hearts in this room. You know where they wrestle, where they are afraid, where they have doubts, where there's uncertainty. Uh, Would you, O Lord, even as you wait with open arms, would you extend those open arms and draw us to yourself and embrace us so that we might know this 
this quiet, this rest, this sense of acceptance, this safety that David knew. Hear us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We encourage you to stand and sing. Boy, what a great hymn for us to sing. Number 691, It Is Well With My Soul.